Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we're finishing up our sermon series called One Year From Now. And throughout the series, what we've been trying to do is help you to become more like Jesus one year from now. But there's one question we haven't really wrestled with in this series yet. And that question is, how do you really know who Jesus is? So let's dive right into this episode's sermon and figure out how we can know who Jesus is for ourselves. So today in Melbourne Heights, we're finishing up a series of sermons that we've been working our way through all through the month of January called One Year From Now. And throughout the series, we're trying to help you be the person that you want to be one year from now. But we all know how difficult that is because all of us have different things that we want to accomplish in our lives over the next 12 months. But regardless of what you may want to accomplish when it comes to your physical or your mental health, your personal relationships or your finances, there's at least one goal that all of us as followers of Jesus should have. So what is this goal? Well, the Apostle Paul, who's the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, explains what this goal is to us in a letter that he writes to some of Jesus' first followers living in a place called Ephesus. And in in Ephesians chapter 5, this is what Paul says. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Paul tells us that our goal should be to imitate God. And what does it mean for us to imitate God? Well, when Paul tells us to be imitators of God, he is telling us that we should try to have the same manner, the same character of God. So essentially what Paul is telling us in this passage is that our goal as followers of Jesus is to become more like Jesus. And that's really what we've been focused on throughout the sermon series. One year from now, we want to help you be more like Jesus. One year from now, we want to help you be more like more like Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is. So all month long, we have challenged you to work your way through the book of Matthew with us. Now, Matthew, we encourage you to read this book because it's a biography of Jesus. Just by reading this book, you can learn more about who Jesus is. But a couple of weeks ago, during the sermon, I mentioned the way that a theologian named Elizabeth Johnson describes Jesus in her book, Quest for the Living God. In this book, Johnson describes Jesus as being ineffable mystery. And what that means is that Jesus is beyond our ability to ever fully comprehend or explain. And based on this definition of who Jesus is, that he's beyond our ability to fully understand or explain, well, that brought to mind the story that involves St. Augustine that I've shared with you here before. Now, as the story goes, St. Augustine, who is probably the most influential thinker and theologian in the history of the church after the church was founded. He was staying in a room by the seashore, and he was working on a formal teaching about the nature and the character of God. But as Augustine was working on this, he wasn't having much, if any, luck. So as the story goes, one day, as he was, as he had spent hours staring at a blank page of parchment paper, he had enough, and he just knew that he needed a break. So St. Augustine left behind his writing table, and he went down to walk along the seashore. And as he walked along the seashore, he saw a little boy there who was digging a hole 
and the same. Well, Augustine stopped and he watched the little boy for a while, and he saw the boy finish digging his hole. And then the boy grabbed his bucket, and he walked down to the sea, and he filled his bucket up with water, and then he went back to his hole, and he poured the water into the hole. When he finished that, he went back to the sea, and he filled his bucket with water again. He came back to his hole, he poured the water down into the hole again, and on and on, over and over again, the boy did this until Augustine's curiosity got the best of him. And Augustine asked the boy, said, what are you doing? The little boy looked at him and said, I'm trying to fit the sea into my hole. And Augustine had to stifle a laugh, and he looked down at the boy, and he said, you can't do it. It won't fit. Now, again, as the story goes, this little boy was really an angel in disguise. He was transformed before Augustine's eyes, and he told him, neither can you fit the mystery of God into your mind. I've been thinking about that story a lot over the last week. And it's made me wonder, if we cannot fit the mystery of God into our minds, then how can we really know who Jesus is? How can we really know who Jesus is? And this got me thinking about, how do we know who anyone is? And as I thought about that question, as I thought about how do we know who anyone is, I came to the conclusion that we really know people in a couple of basic ways. But really, boils down to now, the first way that we can know people is the way that I know Tom Hanks. Tell they know that I knew Tom Hanks, didn't you? And I'm not just talking about some dude named Tom Hanks. I'm talking about the Tom Hanks. Now, I have been a fan of Tom Hanks for a long, long time. And that's probably why I spent most of the sermon last week talking about the movie Boris Gump. Really, like him. He's, he's absolutely my all-time favorite actor. And I have watched just about anything that he has ever been in. So I can tell you a lot about Tom Hanks. I can tell you that he's about six feet tall and he has blue eyes. I can tell you that he has starred in more than 50 different movies that have covered everything from Academy Award-winning films like Forrest Gump from Philadelphia, all the way down to total flops like Every Time We Say Goodbye. Anybody actually seen that movie? That's what I thought. <laughs> I can tell you. That, that Tom Hanks has played Meg Ryan's love interest in three different movies. And I can tell you that he's been married to his wife, Rita Wilson, for over 30 years. I can tell you that Tom Hanks had his big break back in 1984 when he was cast in the leading role in the movie Splash. And I can also tell you that that's not the role that the director of the film, Ron Howard, originally wanted him to play. So I can tell you a lot about Tom Hanks because I know him. But Tom Hanks has no idea who I am. He wouldn't know me if I was standing right in front of his face. And that's because all I know about Tom Hanks is information. And that's the way that, and that's one way that we can know Jesus. We can know Jesus on an informational level, right? We can know Jesus on an informational level. And what this means is that you might be able to tell me when Jesus was born. You can tell me that he was born when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And you can tell me where Jesus lived, and you know that he spent most of his life in a rural region of ancient Israel called Galilee. You can probably tell me how many disciples Jesus had. You might even be able to tell me how many miracles he performed or how many parables he taught. And because you know all of these details about Jesus' life, you can start feeling like you know Jesus. But if all that we know about Jesus is information, and all we end up with is information. 
isn't enough to really know who he is. So that brings me to the second way that we know other people. And this is the way that you know, like, your spouse or your kids. All right? So, like, I know a lot about my wife. I can tell you how tall my wife is. I can tell you what color her eyes are. I can talk with you about her resume and her professional accomplishments like I can do for Tom Hanks. But I can also tell you what my wife is passionate about and what gets under her skin. I can tell you what makes her tick and what her dreams for the future are. I can tell you what it means when she gives me a certain look, like the one right now that says, Stop talking about me. <laughs> Next time she'll tell us once we talk about Hannah during the service instead. It's okay. But I know all these things because I know my wife, and I know more than just information about her. I know her person. And that's how Jesus wants us to know him, too. Jesus doesn't want us to just know information about us. Jesus wants us to know him personally. Jesus wants us to know him personally. I mean, just stop and think about some of the information that we know about who Jesus is. Like what we read in the Gospel of John or John's biography of Jesus. The very beginning of that book, John tells us that Jesus is God-made now, what that means is that God wants us to know him personally so badly that he became a person that we could know. I'm going to say that again. God wants us to know us, know us. God wants us to know him personally so badly that he became a person we could actually know. And this person, Jesus, he walked the earth for over 30 years. He experienced everything that it means to be human, all of the highs and all of the lows. Jesus had friends and he had followers. He had a group of people that he poured his life and his wisdom into. If you were to ask any of those people if Jesus wanted to know them personally, they would have said absolutely. But if there's any doubt that Jesus wants us to know him personally, he erases it for us in the last passage that we're going to be looking at from the book of Matthew. So if you've got a Bible close by, let me encourage you to go ahead and grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And as you're finding it, let me tell you a little bit more about the book of Matthew. Now, the book of Matthew, it is the very first book that we find in the New Testament. It is part of a group of books in the New Testament that we call the Gospels. These are the first four books of the New Testament. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call these four books the Gospels because the word gospel means good news. And all four of these books tell us the good news of who Jesus is. So all four of these books are essentially biographies of Jesus. And what this means is that when you're reading the book of Matthew, you're going to be able to read about Jesus' birth. And you can read about Jesus' appearance. You can read about miracles that Jesus performed. And you can read about the longest recorded sermon that he's ever preached, which is the Sermon on the Mount. You can read about some of Jesus' teachings, and you can see the way that Jesus challenges the status quo. And because Jesus challenges the status quo, you can see the religious leaders of his time turn against Jesus. Now, in the passage that we're going to be reading today in Matthew 22, the religious leaders, they have already turned against Jesus. But the story we're looking at today, it doesn't take place in Galilee, where most of Jesus' story happens. It takes place in the political and the religious capital of ancient Israel. So what this means is that Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. 
And when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, most, if not all, of his followers think they know exactly what this means. When Jesus goes to Jerusalem, most of his followers, if not all of them, think that it means that Jesus is about to overthrow the Roman government and take his rightful seat on the throne of Israel. But the religious leaders, they didn't want that to happen. And the religious leaders didn't want that to happen because they were afraid of what it would mean if Israel went to war with Rome. They were afraid that the Roman Empire would completely wipe Israel off the map, which is exactly what happens about 40 years after this story takes place. So these religious leaders, they are doing everything that they can to get people to stop following Jesus. And what this really means is that they've spent a lot of time trying to trick Jesus into saying something that Jesus shouldn't say so that some of the people who are following him will stop following So when these religious leaders, when they find out that Jesus has gone to the temple, the religious and political center of Jerusalem, these religious leaders, they go, and they decide that they want to continue to try to get Jesus to stumble, to make him make a mistake so people will stop following him. But up to this point in the story, they haven't had a whole lot of luck with it. So as we pick up in the story in Matthew chapter 22, we're going to start reading in verse 34. But we're going to see that the, the religious leaders are going to take one last crack at trying to get Jesus to make a mistake that will turn people away from him. So let's take a look at exactly what happens, what the religious leaders have to ask Jesus, starting in Matthew 22, verse 34. This is what Matthew tells us. He writes, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, those are just two different groups of religious leaders, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him, that is Jesus, and he asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So, in these couple of verses that we just read, we have someone who is described to us as a religious leader and an expert in the law. These are an expert in the religious law, the law of Moses. And they formulate a question that they have to believe is going to stop They ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And by asking him that question, they know that whatever answer Jesus gives to them, that Jesus is going to be downplaying another part of the law. And that is going to infuriate people in Israel. But what this religious leader doesn't realize is he's never going to cause Jesus to stumble in the question that he asks. Instead, what this religious leader actually does is he gives Jesus a platform where Jesus can tell us more about who he is. So when Jesus answers his question, he's not answering a legal question. When Jesus answers his question, he's taking it as an opportunity to talk with us about the nature and the heart of God. Jesus is going to show us what matters most to God. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he answers this question. So let's pick pick back up in verse 37, where Matthew writes, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first of the greatest commandments. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the laws and all the prophets depend on these two. So when this religious leader, 
when he asks Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Jesus tells him. Jesus tells him the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And by answering the question that way, Jesus shows us the most important thing to God is that we love God. The most important thing to God is that we love God. Now, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about in this passage isn't the emotional type of love that we often think of when we use that word, especially about this time of year when we're transitioning into the month of February and Valentine's Day. We think of that emotional kind of love. But the love that Jesus is talking about in this passage is a choice. So when Jesus tells us that we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, he's telling us that we need to choose to love God. What this means is that Jesus is telling us that we need to choose to trust God above anything else. We need to choose to put God first in our lives above everything else. We need to choose to follow God wherever God may lead us. It's not something that happens when you only know someone on an information level. I mean, when you only know information about someone, are you really going to trust them? Right? If all you know is some basic things about somebody and they come and they offer you a ride to the airport, are you going to get in the car with them? No, we want those five-star reviews on Uber before we get in that car, right? Validation. No. If all you know is information, you're not going to if all you know about someone's information, you're not going to put them above everyone and everything else in your life. If all you know about someone's information, you're not going to follow them wherever they go because who knows where they're going to take them. But when you have a relationship with someone, when you know them personally, all of those things change. When you know someone personally, you're going to trust them. You have no problem getting in the car with them and having them take you to the unless you know they're going to drive you. When you know someone personally, you don't have any problem putting their needs above your own. When you know someone personally, you don't have any problem going with them wherever life may lead. This is how God wants us to know Him. And this is what God had in mind from the very first time that He gave this commandment to love Him with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds. Because believe it or not, the first time that God tells us to do this, to love Him this way, isn't found in the book of Matthew. It actually happened centuries before Jesus ever walks this earth. The first time that God tells us to love Him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind actually happens in the book of Deuteronomy. When the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land, after they had been enslaved in Egypt for more than 400 God tells them this because God knows that when they return to the promised land, when they get into the promised land, there are going to be other people there. And the people that are there have their own gods that they worship. And God knows that these people, that the Israelites, are going to be tempted to worship the other gods that are worshipped in this land. So before they go back into the promised land, God tells them, I want you to love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Because I want you to remember that you already know who I am. 
these other gods you're going to meet. You don't know anything about these gods, but you know who I am. I am the God that freed you from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. I am the God that heard you when you cried out in your suffering. I am the God who helped you make it all the way back to the promised land, and I am the God that will lead you into this place. You know who I am. You can trust me. You know who I am. So you can follow me. You know who I am. So you need to put me first. Jesus tells us, tells us the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's telling you that you already know who this God is. You cannot love a God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind unless you know who He is. And this is the God that frees you from your sin. This is the God that hears you every time you cry out and suffer. This is a God who is with you every step of the way and has helped you make it through situations you never thought you would make it through. This is a God who loves you more than anyone could possibly know. So what does this mean for us as we try to become more like Jesus throughout this year? Well, if we want to be more like Jesus, it means that we have to love want to be more like Jesus, we have to love God. This means that you have to choose God. You have to choose to trust God. You have to choose to put, put God first in your life. You have to choose to follow God. This kind of love doesn't just happen if all you know about God is information. This kind of love starts by having a relationship. sermon a little bit differently than we typically do. If you don't have a relationship with God right now, but you want to start a relationship with God right now, whether you're joining us in person today, whether you're joining us online on Facebook, YouTube, on our website, anyplace else, I want to encourage you, if you don't have that relationship with God, but you want to start that relationship with God, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, you don't have to pray this prayer out loud if you're with us here in person or online. But I want you to pray this prayer to start this relationship with God. So, let's pray together. God, I know right now that there is someone that can hear my voice and has not begun a relationship with you, God. But they're ready to. So, if that's where you as a person find yourself out right now, you say these words with me. God, I want to know who you are. I want to know you beyond you. I want to know you personally. I want to know that you are a God that I can trust. I want to know that you are a God that I can put first in my life. I want to know that you are a God that I can follow. So God, today I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite you into my home. I want to begin this relationship with you. And I commit myself to following you the rest of my life. 
if you just prayed the words of that prayer with me, if you're here with us in person, I encourage you to come and talk with me after our service wraps up today. Because we want to help start this relationship with God on the right foot, to go beyond that informational level, to make it personal. If you prayed that prayer and you're joining us online, if you're on Facebook or on YouTube, Use that comments thread. Let us know that you just prayed that prayer. If you're joining us on our church website, find the contact us button that you can find on that page. Let us know about this decision. Again, we want to help you begin this relationship with God. Because you're never going to know God unless you know God on that personal level. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you that the only way you can really know Jesus is to know him personally. So you're never going to be who you want to be. You're never going to be who God created you to be unless you have that personal relationship with Jesus. Well, this does it for this sermon series called One Year From Now. But next week, we're going to be starting into a brand new series called One Small Step. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when that series begins. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Or you can come and worship with us live on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.